Good evening. We are thankful for your attendance this evening and the opportunity to encourage one another uh, once again with a period of study tonight. And as we have said for several weeks now, we have looked forward to beginning back some studies that we have had gone through for several years, uh, for a year and a half or so to look at uh, and to think about uh, some things that might encourage us. As we've said, maybe a little bit of a deeper study, a little a bit of a chance to, to dig a little deeper. And while it's encouraging to think about that, I have to confess that tonight is one of those nights where we're not able to go too deep just for the sake of time, um, but hopefully we can be encouraged by just a, a few minutes of study this evening. We began uh, back in, I guess, 2018, a, a study which is entitled The One Word Study. And there are a couple of books that I think you could still buy, possibly if you went to a Christian Family Bookstore or you can order them online. One book in particular is a study guide. It's a bit of a deeper study into the Greek words and to some of the verses and ways that words are used. And then the other book is a bit of a devotional study. It's meant to be a five-day-a-week study. And so what I usually try to do is combine those and, and take them and uh, make them to where we look at a couple of the devotionals and a little bit of a word study. And that's about all that we have time for on a Sunday night. But yet, maybe we can gain something from uh, the words that we have looked at. Um, of course, as Don has already stated, we will not actually be resurrecting anybody tonight. We're not going to uh, try to do that. Although I think with the live stream now, we could go in and doctor the video and maybe make something, you know, that would really confuse people. Uh, but we're not going to attempt that tonight. But we are going to try to understand the word resurrection, or at least the discussion of resurrection in the Bible a little better. Again, by way of introduction for just a moment, we talked about um, a lot of words, I think about 15 in total over the course of the time that we were studying. The first set of words that they, the way they grouped the words in the books were called big picture words. The idea of a study of the word, the creation, sin, wrath, and grace. Some of those things that we need to understand. We need to have a concept of sin so, on the other hand, we need to understand grace as well and certainly understand that God is a God of wrath. This is two columns, but for the sake of the slide, I had to make it uh, where the words that we studied in this particular group were Christian character words, words that we should apply to our lives, things that we should have, attitudes or characteristics uh, that we should strive to have, mercy, love, forgiveness, kindness and self-control, humility, peace, righteousness and then holiness and we had a good discussion on holiness this morning in our adult class if you have a chance to go back and watch that especially if you weren't able to be with us the third grouping of words that we began back in uh, 2020 was dealing with last things and the only one that we had a chance to touch on was the idea of judgment a very serious uh, study, a very serious, important topic for us to consider. And while I have these books up here, I can tell you that the other words in this particular category are heaven, hell, and hope. All things that deal with what people commonly refer to as last things. But tonight, it's going to encourage us to think about resurrection. Now, as I said, these are kind of a weekly study, but we've taken a monthly, so we are, should be up to about number 16 here as we think about it. It would help for us to begin by defining exactly what we mean by resurrection for the purposes of this study. And as we've kind of already joked about a little bit here, we are not discussing the resuscitation of deceased people in the Bible who still eventually die. Now, there are a lot of examples of those, even in the Old Testament, and certainly we think about ones in the New Testament. You may recall in 1 Kings chapter 17 that Elijah and the widow of Zarephath's son, who he raises, 
We go forward to 2 Kings chapter 4, and there is Elisha and the the Shunammite woman's son. We go forward to the New Testament, John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. And even in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus raises a ruler's daughter, and maybe the one that is kind of post the cross, uh, post Jesus' life and death, is in Acts chapter 9, the story of Peter and Dorcas, or Tabitha, in Acts chapter 9, as Dorcas is restored to life. That's not what we're going to talk about. When we want to be encouraged by the word resurrection, those are encouraging things. But again, as we've already joked about, those are things that no matter of knowledge, think about the medical knowledge we have here. We're thankful for Brian and Don and others who have an ability to study medical things. No amount of medical knowledge, no amount of power in preaching, no amount of study, biblical knowledge, going to college or university and studying these things. None of that can help us in this kind of way. But instead, tonight, the context of our discussion is going to be the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I appreciate the songs that Don did select because we've thought already a little bit about that occasion in the songs that we've sung this evening. But we're thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future resurrection of deceased believers at the second coming, at the second coming. So we will sort of then be confining our discussion tonight to the New Testament. It's interesting as we think about the division there in those two different studies that the, this particular concept of resurrection is not present in the Old Testament. There's actually no particular Hebrew word. You know, that's one thing we've done, if you can recall way back when when we had these discussions. But that was one thing that we did was that we looked at the Hebrew word in the Old Testament and the Greek word in the New Testament. But there's no particular Hebrew word for resurrection that is used in the Bible. There are a couple of passages in Psalms and Isaiah where there is uh, the, the terms, there are terms that address a return from death. But when we think about this particular point, carry forward then to what you do know about the New Testament. And these omissions may be the reason why the Sadducees denied the, re, the reanimation from the dead or the resurrection of the dead. We know that in Matthew chapter 22, there's a discussion of that. Matthew 22 and about 10 verses, 23 through 33. Jesus discusses this with them. And there is this idea that the Sadducees don't believe that. Well, why is that? Have you ever considered why there's a group of people that don't believe in the resurrection? This could be one reason. There are Old Testament passages that would not have signaled anything about the resurrection to the original audience but which later readers interpret in forms or in terms of resurrection. So the important thing that I think would like, I'd like for us to notice up front here is that when we go back to that we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the, the resurrection of deceased believers, these two events are intimately connected. The latter... The resurrection of the saints, the deceased believers, the latter is not going to be possible if the former had never occurred. And not only that, but our belief is in vain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 12 through 19, Paul discusses this idea that if we do not believe in the resurrection, then our hope is futile. He says in verse number 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, 
If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So it's really important that we notice we're studying the resurrection of Jesus and then the resurrection of deceased believers because these are intimately connected. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then it would be impossible for deceased believers to rise from the dead. And really, we're wasting our time here. How important is the resurrection? It's that important as we think about these ideas, these occasions, or the occasion especially of Jesus rising from the dead as we talk about that tonight. Now, there is at least one Greek word. There are others that we won't take the time to get into tonight. But that Greek word is anastasis. Anastasis, and it literally means a raising up or a rising. That's what we think of when we think of resurrection, a raising up or a rising, if you will, like an event or an occurrence. And this is pervasive in the New Testament. For our purposes tonight, I just gave you one passage, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. We've begun a study of the epistles of Peter here in our Sunday morning auditorium class. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the anastasis, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now there are so many more passages. Sometimes the writers of this study will give us a number. They'll say that word is used 100 times or 200 times. I don't have that count in this particular study. But there is a long list of passages from the New Testament, from the gospel accounts, from the epistles, and even going into Revelation with the different words or the way that this word is used. It is impossible within the confines of this lesson for us to cover every single passage that deals with Christ's resurrection or the future resurrection of the dead. There is a long list that we don't have time to get into of the verses. And tonight, in just a few moments as we conclude, we're going to kind of look at just a couple of the primary passages about resurrections that, that can be used as a foundation. There is one other thing that I'd like for us to do, excuse me, before we get into a couple of devotional thoughts. If you have your Bibles, look with me in the book of Acts. Specifically, let's begin in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'd like for us just to consider for a moment. Just go with me and let's look through the book of Acts and think about some of the great gospel sermons that are preached. You know, we sometimes refer to the greatest of gospel sermons in Acts chapter 2 because it is the day of Pentecost. It is the day in which the Lord's church is established. We've been studying a great lesson or excuse me, a great sermon on Wednesday nights with a sermon on the mount. But of course, Jesus has not given his life yet. He's not died. So as he has done that and now risen from the dead, Peter is going to preach this great first gospel sermon, as we sometimes call it. And notice what one of the key points is in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death but notice verse 24 whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it 
You see, we talk about gospel preaching. And we talk about the fact that gospel preaching is supposed to be the death, burial, and resurrection. When we extend the Lord's invitation and we talk about being baptized, we point out the fact that it is partaking, quite literally, in a death, a burial, and a resurrection, an anastasis, a rising up out of the water just as Jesus rose from the grave. So if Peter's going to lay the foundation, if he's going to preach a gospel sermon, he says, God raised him up. But we don't stop there. Go over to Acts chapter 3, specifically verses 14 and 15. There is preaching on Solomon's portico here. As Peter and John begin from the day of Pentecost to go spread the gospel. But you deny the Holy One and the just. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. Of which we are witnesses. Gospel sermon. Death. Burial. Resurrection. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 10. In the meantime, Peter and John are arrested. They're persecuted. They're told not to do it anymore. But as they are addressing the Sanhedrin, Peter says, Let it be known to you, to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, did it stop there? Still not. Whom God raised from the dead. We're three chapters in, or four chapters in, three sermons, three mentions of the resurrection. Let's go a little bit farther, Acts chapter 10 and verse number 40. Do you recall maybe the second great occasion in, Acts, in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost in that first sermon. But in Acts chapter 10, there is the occasion where Peter meets Cornelius and the door is open to the world. Specifically, we usually say to the Gentiles. And as Peter is preaching to Cornelius' household and this great occasion is taking place, Acts chapter 10 and verse 39, And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. It's the resurrection. Acts chapter 13 and verse number 30 Barnabas and Saul are traveling around, and at Antioch and Pisidia, there is preaching where Paul is going to begin giving this sermon, this lesson. What's the message? The message is that Jesus lived and he died, but it doesn't end there. Verse 29, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. What kind of sermon is it that just stops with the fact that our hero, and more than a hero, I don't mean to be irreverent anyway, but our hero, our Savior, has simply died. Doesn't stop there. God raised him from the dead. And even in Acts chapter 17, one more for our purposes tonight. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 31. You recall this occasion, we mentioned it this morning. Paul at the Areopagus at Mars Hill in the city of Athens, he's preaching about the great God of heaven whom we serve. And he says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all. What do we have? How do we have hope? How can we have blessed assurance? Because God raised him from the dead. Time and time again, the message is of Jesus, but not just his death, 
but his resurrection. And those first several great gospel sermons all focused on this fact, preaching time and time again the importance of the resurrection. And thus, we appreciate the songs that Don selected tonight, but we should be singing of it always. We should be thinking of it always. We should be sharing of it always. The great Savior that we serve, who lived and died and rose again. Let's think of a few devotional thoughts here this evening. The question is put forth by one of the authors. Don't put a period where God puts a comma. Some of you may remember that for many years, the name Mel Blanc has been associated with the characters in Warner Brothers' Looney Tunes. And sometimes at the end of a production, at the end of one of the cartoons, you see Bugs Bunny come onto the screen and say, that's all, folks. And it is the voice of Mel Blanc. And when we think about remembering him, his family put an inscription on his tombstone that said, that's all, folks. It's kind of humorous for us to think about it, but the question of the resurrection is, is that inscription true? Is death really all there is? Is death the period at the end of the sentence of life when you die? Is it really that's all, folks, or is death maybe a bit of a comma, a doorway to more of life? Turn me in your Bibles to Job chapter 19. The writer, again, of this particular devotional wants to encourage us with the story, and not only the story, but the words of Job. The ancient Job struggles through his pain to try to answer that question. Is there really more to life? Is death the end? He struggles through his pain to try to answer that question long before the doctrine of resurrection has been fully developed through the resurrection of Jesus. Job is a man robbed of almost everything that is precious to him. Stripped of his dignity, we might even say, reduced to suffer in the ashes of pain. And sitting in total devastation, Job chapter 9, verses 14 and 20, he describes his loneliness. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh. Perhaps you can identify with such personal devastation. Or recently, maybe you've talked to someone or helped someone who's been cut down or feels really down by a loss that maybe took their breath away, that that maybe really struck them in that kind of way. But if you look at Job 19, I don't know if you noticed, if you read verses 14 and 20 real quick, and some of you may have already skipped down, but what does Job say despite all of that in verse number 25? For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. How? I mean, we've all faced loss. How can Job sit there and say things like that? In the Old Testament times, a redeemer was someone who rescues a victim from poverty. We see that as they deal with these things in the Old Testament. Job loses everything. His flocks, his herds, his children, everything. His many sufferings bring him near the point of desperation. Yet rather than giving in, he makes this remarkable statement of faith. So, was Mel Blanc right? Well, maybe for the ending of a cartoon, but the message of the resurrection is that's not all, folks. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And with Jesus, ultimately, it's just 
the beginning. And we can take great comfort in considering that. The other devotional thought I'd like to share with you tonight is in your outline if you have one in front of you. But it's the idea that his victory is our victory. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Let me ask you as we begin, when you were a child, did you ever have the experience of coming to a creek that looked a little wider than you thought you could get across by jumping? I'm not going to ask any of you who are too older because there's a chance if you tried it now, we might have some more broken hips around here and more walkers and, and canes than we need. But have you ever had that feeling of standing on one side thinking that you could get across? You wonder if you can make it across, then... That one person in the group decides to go ahead and try it, right? They go ahead and they make it. Maybe some of you were that person in particular. But that person makes it. They run, they jump, and they land on the other side. And landing on the other side, your friend has won a victory over the creek, in a sense. It is that friend's victory. <coughs> Pardon me. But maybe, and in the sense of our discussion tonight, maybe, just maybe, it's a bit of a small victory for you. You see, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, we see Paul encouraging those in Philippi with these words, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and what? And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Maybe you were a little scared to try that creek jump, but you said, if he can do it, I can do it. So maybe you step back, make a big run and jump too and see if you can win the victory over the creek in that particular instance as well. Maybe you recall the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrew chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You see, Hebrews chapter 11 is so wonderful and it's so encouraging, but I'm afraid we often stop right there. We leave it at the end of chapter 11 and we forget that chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, continue this great thought of all of these who have gone on before us. When the Hebrew writer says, therefore... Continuing the thought, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, it is the faith of Moses it is the faith of the walls of Jericho, of those who marched around. It is the faith of har the harlot Rahab. It is all of those who are listed there who have gone on, who are cheering us on in a sense. And because of his victory, we have the victory as well. In the resurrection of Jesus, two great affirmations are made. One affirmation is that Christ has won the victory. But the second theme, and perhaps more important in a sense... <clears throat> excuse me, is that we too win a victory through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul knows that when he prays what he prayed in Philippians chapter 3 that we read just a few moments ago. You see, his victory is our victory. And we can pillow our head even this night 
as children of God, faithful to him, knowing that fact and taking peace in that. Two final passages, and the lesson will be yours. First of all, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is this discussion of the last enemy being destroyed. There is a discussion of our final victory. And in addition to other destructive things that Paul has addressed to those in Corinth, a dangerous heresy is circulating. And that is, in verse number 12 of chapter 15, that there is no resurrection. That there is no resurrection from the dead. Paul emphasizes the critical nature of having faith in the gospel that was preached to them. And notice he says in verses 29 and 30, we touched on a couple just a few moments ago, but 29 and 30, he says, if the resurrection is denied, nothing else has purpose. And even notice in verse number 32, he says, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Can I give you a translation? Can I give you a current day translation? Paul says the Corinthians might as well party away. Live it up. Do whatever you want to do, because if the resurrection is not true, then what does it matter? He goes on to let his audience know that the things of this life cannot be eternal. This body will perish. And he continues to draw this contrast between the fact that if we deny the resurrection, we really have no hope. And then the other passage I'd like to point you towards is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, once again, this was something that we just finished studying here in the auditorium on Sunday mornings. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul is encouraging the brethren that Jesus will keep his promise. What promise is that? If you remember John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3, that if I go, I prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus made a promise, and here to those in Thessalonica, Paul is trying to encourage them, don't give up. Don't give up, because Jesus will keep his promise and he will return to deliver the church back to the Father. They don't need to be concerned about Christians who have preceded them in death. That's the discussion here beginning in verse number 13. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, there's that first part, and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Paul says that they need not be concerned about Christians who have preceded them in death. The dead will rise to meet Christ first. And the apostle gives an inspired promise that we all hold dear in verse number 17. That we will always be with the Lord. And then the interesting thing that I'd like to leave you with tonight as we conclude these thoughts is that Paul also gives them a job. He gives them a job, and their job is to do something with this knowledge. And that one thing that they can do in verse number 18, comfort one another, encourage one another. Folks, I don't have to remind you I could get up here and spend 30 minutes preaching to you about all the things that are wrong in the world. 
We can get up here and talk about viruses. We can talk about bankruptcy. We can talk about health issues. We can talk about death. We can talk about politics. We could go on and on about the things that are wrong with this world. But the job that Paul gives those Christians and us today is that we remember the resurrection and that we do something with that. We can encourage one another. We come here and we may talk politics a little. We may talk about the things that are going on in the world. But we have an opportunity to sing the songs that we have sung tonight. To look at the passages we've looked, tonight, looked at tonight and be reminded that yes, Jesus rose from the dead. And because he gained that victory, we have the victory. How great and wonderful that is. How peaceful is that as you think about going to sleep tonight and rising again tomorrow to face the world that gets us down so easily. Knowing that we serve a risen Savior, as we've already sung this evening. Tonight, as we conclude our thoughts, that's the simple message. The possibility exists that you're here tonight and you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins. Fully understanding and taking part in the things that we've discussed, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we'll be singing to encourage you this night. That you would make that great commitment. Have that peace. But maybe you've done that, but you've wandered away. You see, the resurrection... That's not happened. It's not happened yet. We're still here. And our parents were here before us. And our grandparents were here before that. And we're still here. So that resurrection, boy, that sure seems a long way away. We're not even sure that it's coming sometimes. We start to question and doubt things. If Jesus said and made the promise that he made, he will make good on it. Don't lose hope. Comfort one another. Encourage one another, even with this, these words. Maybe you need to come back to him tonight and make your life right by confessing sin of a public nature. Maybe you just like the prayers of this con uh, congregation to help you along this difficult road. We're thankful to be together and to sing to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.